I'm Jay Burns, and uh, I don't see Jim in here, but that's my wife in the back, Jenny. Uh, this is Steve Bird here, and Lisa Bird, and then Jim. And that's five of the uh, 19 leaders we have in our prodigal ministry. And uh, so we took, a, we were kind of in the core group, so we just thought we would uh, have something here to offer on training day as Blake asked us to speak. So um, what I thought we'd do is when we get started, just welcome you, but just... If you wouldn't mind, uh, it would help us. Uh, we could really go in several directions. Uh, and uh, the, I think the title is a little... Uh, uh, there's Jim right there. Uh, yeah, and uh, the title is a little bit uh, uh, talking about families. But if you look at the description uh, on the website... Hi. If you look at the description on the website, it can be about anybody. What we found is it can be about uh, uh, brothers, si- sisters, siblings... Uh, spouses, uh, anybody that's wondering that you're having an issue with. Uh, I think you'll find that even if you're here for a family issue or a child, um, these principles, we apply them every day in every life to everybody we meet. They're just, it's just a good way to live life. So before we do that, would you just tell us a little bit about why you're here? And uh, Oh, sunglasses off. My wife told me. Uh, all right. So, uh, Dale, why don't you start us? Okay. No, you okay? Okay. Well, yeah. okay. Uh, okay. Let me just let me let me let me let me uh, defuse this a little bit. The reason we're here is because we're massive uh, enablers. We have made huge mistakes. We're not here because we're smarter than anybody else, or better parents, or better in relationships. We've learned the hard way. The only thing we've done is we've realized that we're idiots. We have we have gone to scripture. We have tried to do what it says. We have done that in the context of community, and we're better. And we're not perfect, but we're living we're living a life for Jesus Christ, as opposed to whatever the prodigal was that was tangling us up and and drawing us under the water. We, we totally checked out of our, our relationship with God for several years, all of us in different points, because we were so worried about controlling a situation and of which we had zero control over. So when you tell your story and you tell us what you're struggling with, unless, I mean, I just don't believe you have a terminally unique story here today. I've never heard one yet. And, you know, we, we hear stories every week about parents doing CPR on their kids that have overdosed on heroin and crystal meth and and you can't surprise us so as you struggle with your issue I just wanted to tell you brother you're in safe company here okay all right you still want to start off or you want to set set somebody give me a time limit you know what we do we we're going to give you a time limit what we want to do is because we have to teach but what I want to do is say what is if you could say in one or two sentences if it's my I just want to know what your focus is. Who is your who is your person? Who what is your issue without the details? And then if we have time, we're going to try to go through this as quickly as we can so that we could actually listen to the story a little bit more and maybe in helping you, I guarantee you every time we help people, it helps others. Jim? I'll be about to go first. Okay. Uh, my name is Jim Payton and uh, I have a, a daughter who I would consider responsible. She's twenty seven years old and in prison. She's uh, away from the Lord right now. My desire as her parent is to uh, 
uh, provide an environment that would be conducive to her coming back uh, to the ward and coming back home. So that's kind of where we can turn on Okay. Uh, so, anybody else want to start? Yes. Hi, I'm Jeanette, and I have a 20-year-old son who is an addict. He's currently in treatment. We've been doing it with, for several years. Okay. And um, spoke to him yesterday. Very positive. He's at stage four in the 12-step program. Okay. And, uh, that's the that's the big one. Yeah, that's the big one. And. Uh, He's, he's making progress. But he, he has, he told me that he has to put his hands in someone greater than all of us. Perfect. So it's good that he has now started to see the light. But it's been ongoing for the last really five years. Good. So it's a, it's a child here. My son, yes. Hi, I'm Barb, and I have a just uh, really bright and beautiful 19-year-old daughter who we've been on about an eight-year journey with. And... Um, you know, we have that hope, and we have, I read the book, The Prodigal Son, and I just believe, just so wholeheartedly, you know, all the uh, strength and purpose in that is, you know, exactly okay. where, the way I need to be leading us to lead her. Okay, and what, what, there's The Prodigal Son, what book is that? I mean, there's, there's several prodigal stories. Uh, you mean the, the, the book in the Bible? No, or, I'm sorry, the, uh, Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, awesome, awesome. No, we're going to have Elizabeth finish her bite. Dale, how about you? <laughs> okay. Uh, through some uh, things I did, uh, I had four children. Uh, 20, okay, when they had their birthdays in November, 26, 24, 26, 24, 22, 18. Okay. 18-year-old still at home. Uh, the other three will not come around the house. Um, and I, I guess now is maybe not time to go into all the whys and wherefores of that, but uh, my wife blames me for all of it. She says, when I've reconciled with the kids, she'll reconcile with me. We hardly talk. Uh, there's, there's very no, no communication. You know what? Stop right there. I got it. And, I'll, and I'm going to address that in a second. Yes. I'm Sherilyn Parker, and I have a son that's going or kind of in the gay lifestyle, so I'm kind of trying to bring that out. Okay. Yes. I'm Kathy, and um, I don't have a, a person that I'm dealing with directly, but I have several families that I'm connected with, uh, some through community group and some through uh, leadership and Bible study that are with this, and so I'm great curiosity about how to come alongside Perfect. Awesome. Kim? I have a nephew uh, that is 21, that is uh, in crime and drugs, and um, it's still a rebellious spirit. He's been in rehab before, so he thinks that that's not the answer for him. Um, and we are just trying to, when I say we, my mom's here also, Perfect. Peg, so you're in that same boat. Okay. All right. So look. So everything. It's all about kids this morning. Oh, I'm sorry. You were eating. I apologize. My mom. Your mom is your prodigal. Well, yeah. I yeah. I don't mean. No, 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 no. It it all applies. I just when I read the description, I thought. Yeah, it is. 
It is. It is. If you, I mean, if they're wandering from God, if you're interacting with them, if they're occupying your time, if you're trying to control them and make them better, uh, how do you do that? How do you love them well? Um, you're in the right place. So let me just tell you, I, I just didn't know exactly where we were starting here, uh, but I think what you're going to find is that you're going to see that these apply to, uh, uh, across, the, across the board. I'm telling the other leaders that I will make up uh, a little bit of the time we're going over here in my talk and conflict. We can get through that fairly quick. Um, but uh, I think it's important to let you know that uh, um, well, I, let's just let the morning play out and we'll tell you across the board about what this is about. And this is just a snippet of what you're going to find this morning. This is kind of a exaggerated, concentrated, little small course or taste of what you could get every Tuesday night that we do and getting to a closed group, just like your son is in a group that's working through his issues. We can't control your prodigal, and I hope you'll find for the first time maybe in your life that you're not going to be able to control it either. But there are things that you can do to lead yourself well, which leads your family well, which leads your wife well, which gives you the best opportunity for your child to come home, and we all kill the fatted pig, and it'd be awesome. And we see it. Every, we see it all the time. But it doesn't happen quickly. And so this is a morning just to kind of go, okay, just relax. Here's some things to do. And then if, you, if this works for you, I'm going to tell you, man, there's a group of a ton more people just like you. Some struggling with homosexuality issues. We've got people that really are good at we've got our leadership now that's got their arms. Who has their arms around that issue? But I'm the point is they, they've dealt with it. Perfect. They are great. And so we've got all those issues. And so uh, welcome. Hope you give a, a, get a taste of this. This is a, a, a portion of our leadership, a portion of what we do each week. And we'll give you resources at the end of the day. But I'm going to shut up because I could talk all day. Let me just tell you, Steve Bird is going to start us off with uh, one of the cornerstones of our ministry. And so uh, we're giving you the, some highlights of some lectures that we give over a six-month curriculum. Um, and so uh, we'll try to get through this and answer your questions. Oh, yeah. Here you go, Steve. We're recording this, so give us a little bit of time to transfer this over. Is that right? Good. Good. I hate that word up there, searching for signal. Let's see if we can get it going. Here. There we go. Um, I'm starting off of looking at our relationships in general. Uh, it does seem like the focus is about our kids, but uh, this is more broad, a broader shot at it. Uh, and so our goal will be to look at how we can find joy in this, how we can find contentment in the midst of what relationships pose. And, you know, if you just back off and look at it, and you look at your good days and your bad days, most of the time you're going to find your bad day is characterized by some negative interaction with somebody and your good day with positive interaction. So relationships play heavily into our attitude about life. And here you can see it may be your significant other, your spouse, your child, your friends, or perhaps your coworkers. And if you look at this at, at, at Watermark, you'll see that there's seven a minimum, at least, of seven ministries that are specifically focused on relationships. And so you can see our church is very concerned about 
solving these issues and how, how highly applicable they are in our life. So what's common among these things? Uh, personal boundaries, a need for that, a need to control our anger and redirect it, uh, a purposed approach to conflict, a commitment to prayer, a willingness to forgive, a desire to turn our control over to God, and an understanding that it's not one day, it's a process to fix. And guess what? Those are the topics of this morning. Each one of those are what our focus will be. So there's no perfect relationship. Um, no one can be everything that uh, we might want uh, him or her to be, including our child. Um, there's going to be disappointment. Um, don't try to change them to what you want them to be. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. He's going to have a better plan for how they should be than you will have. Um, and then don't be, feel pressured to change yourself. Uh, the codependency thing where you start trying to make people happy. Um, healthy communication is vital to uh, relationships. And one of the key things is don't to appear blaming or judgmental when you're communicating with, uh, with those around you. And don't make the assumption that you know what they're thinking. Uh, let them have an opportunity to express that. Um, give the person a chance to answer a question if you have a question rather than just assuming and uh, listen and try to understand the other person's point of view. Now, if you look at this, this graphic here, you can see an index finger going on here, a furrowed brow, a tucked head, and you probably get the idea that there's some blame going on here and that uh, the man at least here is going to walk away with some element of blame and probably is not going to have the best attitude uh, about what's just taken place. Um, so some useful guidelines then are not to criticize, to be uh, open in your conversation. And usually when you're, when you're feeling like there might be some adversary position, um, start the conversations with I statements. In other words, insert yourself into the problem and let the person understand that there's a level of um, empathy and understanding and avoid the you statement, which is a blaming entry. Um, and, and again, don't assume you know what the other person feels or thinks. <clears throat> Compassion removes judgment that we place on individual differences. <clears throat> For parents, um, one of our leaders gives a, a talk about the journey of transition. And this reminds me of the fact that all our relationships are dynamic and changing. Uh, with the child, there's the, the first five years where we're protectors and providers. Then theoretically, in the next five to 12 years, we kind of become a cop. We teach, we train, we discipline. And then after that, in that uh, troublesome year, 12 to 17, we see most of our prodigal interaction beginning there. <clears throat> we're really a coach, and we're sort of putting them out in life under under restraints and pulling them back in and and that's sort of the time of, of high training and then after that we become a consultant where we're really just listening, supporting and advising. Well it's no different in our relationship with our our spouse or with our coworkers or friends. The situation's constantly changing. With our spouse, children are introduced into the picture. That changes the whole framework. Um 
we, with our, uh, just our friends, our co-workers. There's people hired under you, over you, fired, whatever, and you're constantly having to make adjustments in how you relate to those. You may have close friends in your, your uh, uh, couples in your marriage, and someone gets a divorce, and that causes a whole new dynamic to, to come about. So there's this constant dynamic change in relationships that we have to uh, be willing to engage in. So what's this really about? I think there are three things. First, having the faith uh, that God is actually the one in control, that we are not. Proverbs 21.31, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. That doesn't mean we lay in a hammock. It means that we're trying to figure out what the Lord is guiding us to do. But ultimately, He's the one with the authority and the control. And our, our priority in life in general is to model Christ with a grateful heart and bring glory to God. So whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And let go and let God. Well, that's the hardest thing. I think Jenny's going to hammer on that. But, um, but ultimately, that's when we start beginning to feel relief and contentment in our relationships when we're in a, again, when we're in a contentious type battle. I want to talk and kind of navigate through what I think the core thing is here. And, and this is a situation where I want you to focus on the idea of being responsible for versus being responsible to someone. And I call this a transforming choice because what happens here when you make this choice, your life changes. So let's look at that a little bit more closely. And so if you're responsible for someone, I'm going to suggest that you are trying to control others. If you're responsible to someone, you're trying to care for others. Okay, let's look at that a little bit more in detail. So what does this mean you're doing? If you're responsible for someone, you're trying to rescue, control, assume their feelings, take over. For a parent, that may mean that your child uh, um, forgot to do their homework and they're, they're pivoting on a, on a C versus a D grade and they didn't bring their stuff home that would make them get the C. So what do you do? So you think, this is bad. This is going to ruin their, their grade point. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call in sick. I'm going to go up there tomorrow and get the assignment that they forgot and I'm going to fix it, Right? You ever been there? Or similarly? Yeah. And so you do that. Now, is that really the right? Is that a caring thing to do? Because what you're doing is you're teaching that child that they're not capable. And so these are. this is an example of where it would look like you're being a helicopter mom or dad and coming in there and really making it better for your child when, in fact, you're not. So alternatively, you'd show empathy. Gosh, I'm sorry you forgot that. Simon, I know this is going to put you behind in school, and we've told you that you know if you're not passing, then no cell phone. But you, you'll get through it. You know we're we're behind you, and you let the consequences reign. So this is a caring versus a fixing kind of deal. This is an example for parenting. Um, so how does this make you feel when you're doing all these things? When you're trying to fix everything around you, it makes you it wears you out. You're anxious, you're angry sometimes, you feel guilty about what you've done, 
and you get pretty lonely and isolated. As opposed to if you're just have given this over and you're, you feel relaxed and contented. And, and so there's a real difference here, a transforming difference that I'm trying to draw your attention to. And uh, when, you're, when you're responsible for, you find yourself focused on the solution, the details, every little detail matters. You just want to change it. Um, circumstances are a big deal. <clears throat> what the performance related to all that is. So you, you really can't focus on anything but that. And a lot of times it is the child. And um, it can be your, your spouse or whatever. As opposed to when you're just really focusing on the relationship and the person. And, and there's when, again, the contentment comes. Question? Yep. I don't really follow. You want to go back to that previous slide? Mm-hmm. Which one? This one here? Yes. Okay. I believe if I just share myself, the other person has enough to make it. Yeah, you're, what, you're try, what you're trying to do is, is be available in an empathetic way, encouraging them that you don't have to fix what the problem is, that, that, they've, that, that that's uh, causing whatever the difference is between you, and, and that they can do it. And so you become an encourager rather than a fixer. Does that make sense? So uh, they, have, they, have, they have enough to make it through their own problem. Absolutely. Absolutely, and you become an encourager. Sorry I didn't make that clear. Thank you for stopping me if I do that again, okay? Um, So what this means is when you translate what all this is, what are you becoming when you work through this? You're becoming a manipulator, a controller, a disabler, which frequently turns into an enabler. Is that my making sense there? Yeah. And... On the other hand, if you are working the other way as more of a support, a caregiver, a caretaker, you become a helper, a friend, a parent, a spouse. And as you do these things, your self-worth will either go up or down, depending on which side of the fence you put yourself on. So, in summary, if I'm responsible for others, I'm fixated on a relationship that I can't control. It becomes your idol. And it takes you out of your walk with Christ. My life is filled with chaos, frustration, anger, exhaustion. My walk does not model Christ and glorify God because it's fixed on this other thing and I bear no fruit for the kingdom. If you're responsible too, you've given control to God. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You're free to model Christ with a grateful heart and bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And you will be an encouragement to your spouse, your children, your friends, and your co-workers. Matthew 12.33, for the tree is known by its fruit. Alright, so that's, that's sort of the introductory thing on relationships. And now to the real meat of it is uh, Jenny Burns on boundaries and consequences. Hey, while they're, uh, while they're getting that uh, squared away, just to let you know, we have uh, 
some resources over here if you didn't get them all, and uh, we'll have a lot more online to tell you about at the end of the day Okay, I'm Jenny. I'm Jay's wife. Um, one of the things I was just thinking, one of the things that we tell our participants in our prodigal ministry every Tuesday night is that we're there to give them hope in the midst of their chaos. And it's through Jesus Christ. That's the only way we have hope. And I just want to encourage you that there is hope for all of you. And we've we've been there. You know, we've struggled. Um, and we, we still struggle, but we've, we've been there. So um, just know that we... We feel your pain. Um, some of our stuff will overlap just a little bit, but this to me is just a cornerstone of what we're going to talk about. Um, I mean, of the, of the. Let me make sure I'm doing this right. Okay. What I want to do first is I want to define boundaries, and then I want to emphasize the importance of boundaries and the enforcement of boundaries with the appropriate consequences. I want to talk about how we implement boundaries and define how to consistently consistently deliver consequences. Um, so first of all, I want to tell you that that word boundary is kind of a buzzword, and I have to admit that when I first heard it, I thought, oh, boundary, but I had no clue what it was. I mean, you may have it all figured out, but I didn't. I wasn't sure what a boundary really was as it related to me. Well, in the physical world, boundaries are really clearly defined. We have fences between property lines. We have, on the map, we have every state has a border. That's their boundary. That defines where their space is and someone else's starts. We have um, um, football fields. We have uh, boundary lines. If you go outside that boundary, there's a consequence if you catch that ball out there, right? Uh, my personal favorite is when you're going down the highway and you happen to just kind of veer over a little bit and you get the jolting thing. That's a boundary, and you've crossed the line. And there's a consequence there, isn't there? Well, in the spiritual world, boundaries are just as important. They're just not as easily defined. Um, but what a boundary does is it defines us. A boundary is your personal property line. It's where you stop and someone else starts. Um, when you know what you want and what you don't want, what, uh, what we are for and what we're against, what we love and what we hate, what is me and what's not me, then we're setting boundaries because that defines where we stop and start. Um, there's a story that I love in one of the Boundaries books. I can't remember which one it was, but um, it talks about someone who, and this relates to consequences, but if you are um, watering your grass, you're responsible and you're watering your grass, but your sprinklers are watering your neighbor's grass, and he's not watering. He's just a knucklehead. But your sprinklers are falling onto his grass. Well, guess what? You look down all of a sudden, and your grass is just dead and he walks out and he's not doing anything but his grass is green and he's you know he's going hey works for me well guess what he is irresponsible but he's happy you you're miserable and you're responsible well guess what that's what we do as parents or as spouses we're watering their grass all the time and ours is dead and we're we're the responsible ones so i love that analogy uh, it just hits me because I've been there. I've done all of that. Believe me, I've done all that. Um, there's also a neat story I want to tell you about that uh, they did a little study, and they did these little kindergarten kids, and they put them out on this big playground, and they said, 
you can play out here. There's no fence. There's no border, no boundary. And they said, just go play. Well, guess what? All those little kids kind of huddled together up near the front. Well, when they put a fence up there, they just went up to the fence line and played. It's a security thing, isn't it? Our boundaries that we give our kids, that's, that keeps them secure. So it's a good thing. It's a loving thing to set those boundaries and even more loving to give the consequences. So the importance of boundaries and consequences, this is one of the most valuable parenting tools, or as it relates to any relationship, that we have to achieve our utmost goal, which our utmost goal, as we know, is to raise God-fearing adults I mean, what is our main goal for our children, our spouse, whoever, is that they walk with the Lord, that they are under God's authority. We want to raise responsible adults in our children. So in order to do that, we've got to set boundaries, we've got to define rules, and we've got to define what their responsibility is and what our responsibility is. Steve just did a beautiful job of talking about being responsible to as opposed to for. Um, We've got to enforce our consequences if rules are broken and if responsibilities aren't met. Um, I want to tell you a little quick story about um, uh, my husband. Well, I tell this story all the time so he knows it's part of our story, but um, our son, when he was just kind of beginning his journey of you know, the alcohol drug thing. He um, had a flat tire, and he called Jay, and he said, i got a flat tire. And, and so Jay goes over to help him. And we have set up this really strict rule. And I said, son, we're going to give you this truck to drive. But if you are drinking, and, and, of course, he's what, 17 at that time? If you're drinking, we catch you drinking, we will sell the truck. And I meant it. I meant it. I will sell the truck. And we all knew I meant it. So my husband goes over there, and he's down there with him, helping him fix the tire, and he smells fear on his breath. And he knows that's fear. And so he says something to my son like, you've been drinking. And my son kind of, you know, well, it's obvious. And he says, you know, and and my husband's a new man now. I just want to tell you that. This was way before he got to the other side. He said, you know, son, he said, we're not going to tell mom about this because this will devastate her, but don't you ever, don't you ever let me catch you drinking again. Really? Well, guess what? Guess what that told our son? It's party time. There is no consequence here. I can do whatever I want to do. You know, that was just like giving him the reins. Not that we're not responsible for what he did, but that's just a little story of, you know, no consequence there. So he didn't stop. He just went further on with that. So... Anyway, let's talk about how we set boundaries. Basically saying no is the most important thing. Um, Follow biblical guidelines for right and wrong. Clearly define them and follow them. I was a boundaryless parent. I did not set boundaries. I would drop everything and do for my kids. I I did. I mean, I'll just tell you I did. I tried to be their savior. I tried to fix everything. I was basically a controller. You know, when Steve was talking about the school project, and my son comes up and says, I've got to have... I've got to have a poster board, and I've got to have this for a project that's due tomorrow. And it's 10 o'clock at night. And I said, okay, what do I do? I go into fix-it mode, and I'm in the car trying to find a place where I can find all this stuff for him. Of course, he's known about this project for mm, two weeks, maybe. You know, the right thing to do, as Steve said, would have been to say, I'm so sorry. Gosh, I know you really need a good grade in that class, but that's too bad. No, no, I was the fix-it mom. Wrong, wrong, you know. I did it. I did it. So I can tell you I did it. Um, We've got to let others suffer the consequences of their own actions. I I didn't do that, but it would have been the best thing for my son. 
I've got to let them take responsibility for their actions. Okay, why do we as parents, or, or just people, why do we not set boundaries? What, what keeps us from doing that? Well, basically, I was it, a people pleaser. You know, I wanted my kids to like me. I wanted to be their friend. You know, I just wanted to be the nice person. Well, I learned that that really wasn't being the nice person. That wasn't being the most loving person I could be. I, I was confused with what loving my child or my friend really looked like. Um, and I, I tried to control, you know, simply. Now that I'm on the other side of this, I, lo- I really do look at love, loving my child differently. In our ministry, so many times I hear these precious families, parents say, you know, I just feel guilty if I don't help them. I mean, they're in jail or they're in prison or they're in rehab or something. And, and I, we try to get them to see what it really looks like to love them. Loving them at that point is not helping them. Loving them is stepping back and let God work in their life and just getting out of the way so that they can hit that bottom and suffer some consequences the only way they're ever going to come back. So um, another reason we don't uh, set boundaries is because we just flat don't trust God. We just don't think that God's going to protect them and we just... We just sometimes don't think that our prodigal is even capable of being responsible. I remember the point. I, I, I didn't give it to God. Like I said, I was, the, I was the fixer. I didn't go to God first. I thought I could handle it first. Well, I remember the time in my life when my son was at his worst point, And it was big-time drugs. It was, you know, you all here in that situation know it's lying, it's cheating, it's stealing, it's... It's all those horrible things that you hate to tell anyone but you guys because it just sounds horrible. I mean, my son is precious. He's a love. But drugs were drugs are very controlling, as we know. Well, <clears throat> I remember the point where I sat. I was sitting in a chair, and I just said, <clears throat> Lord, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm gonna, I, I, gotta, I can't do anything. Everything I'm doing is hurting. It's not helping. <clears throat> and I said, I just don't trust him. And I remember where I was when I was walking up my stairs. And it's like God put his hand on my shoulder and said, you don't have to trust him. Just trust me. And it was at that point where I said, you know what? He is trustworthy. And I'm going to do that. And once I started down that path of taking myself out of it and trusting God and knowing that he was big enough to do anything, things really started turning around. I, I couldn't do it. We were not capable of doing this. God's the only one that can do it. Um, so that was a huge, huge turning point for me, and, and it could be for you too. Okay, how does God model boundaries? Well, God's God's a real big on boundaries. i got to tell you, in the Bible, isn't God, He's three distinct, separate, and responsible persons. And we got the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've got boundaries. They're three distinct beings, right? Um God communicates well in the Bible what he likes and what he doesn't like, what he'll allow and what he won't allow. Those are major boundaries. What he thinks and what his heart is. He tells us. He is a boundary guy. Um, God confronts sin and he does allow consequences for our, for our benefit. Are there not consequences to sin? Yeah, we know there are. We've all suffered those. And it's for our benefit. And he tells us that in Hebrews 12, 5, and 6 when he says, My son, do not make delight of the Lord's discipline, nor lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son's not disciplined by his earthly father? 
If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. I mean, if that doesn't tell us what God wants us to do, as far as in our relationship with our own children, I don't know what does. And he's saying, because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. That is what love is. Um, It's no different for us. Okay, so looking at the big picture, how do we teach responsibility? Well, we teach it by setting boundaries, and then we have to follow through on consequences. We have to allow our prodigal, that loved one in our in our heart and in our home and in our family that is failing, I mean, that, that is going through some tough times. We have to let him fail. I didn't want to do that with my son. I didn't want him to fail. I was his mom. You know, I thought my job was to keep him from falling, keep him from failing. That's well, really not my job. It's not at all. Um, and you have to enforce those consequences consistently, just like the deal with the truck. You know, we should have followed through on that. And and we, we had set a boundary there that the car would be sold. We should have done it. You know, we should have. But, you know, it's okay. We learned. Um, we have to trust God to work in us and in our child. Just go back to the trust. I remember, <laughs> talking about consequences, I remember my son would never... He, he just couldn't get up on time, probably because he was smoking a lot of pot and I didn't know it. And he couldn't get up in the morning to go to school. So he was late all the time, and they'd send these things and say, if he's late one more time, you know, he gets this penalty, whatever. Well, of course, misresponsible here. I was like, I can't believe that. He can't do that. So I knew that I shouldn't. I had gone in and, you know, made sure he was up many, many times. But I finally was getting a little wiser and said, I know I shouldn't wake him up. He's got to suffer the consequences. So what do I do? I go outside his bedroom door and I just start making noise. Because that makes me feel like I'm not really waking him up, but I'm just kind of helping a little bit. See, that's just, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of getting better. So, you know, what I should have done, and sure enough, he woke up because I made noise uh, outside his door. But what should I have done? I should have just let him sleep away. And I should have had that peace knowing that this is a loving thing I'm doing. And I just didn't have it then. So how do we enforce those consequences? Good question. We have to understand fully their usefulness and purpose through Scripture. Well, y'all, uh, the Proverbs are packed full of this kind of stuff. Proverbs, we, we use these so many times in our ministry. We, we, we have to memorize them because we just have to say them over and over to these poor parents who are just struggling. That Proverbs 19, 18, 19 says, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Wow. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Don't I know that? Been there, done that. Proverbs 29, 15, 17, 19, and 21. A rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Discipline your son and he'll give you peace. He'll bring delight to your soul. A servant can't be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. If a man pampers his servant from youth, he will bring grief in the end. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Community. And y'all, that's what Jay and I learned so vividly in our experience was we had to have community. You cannot go through this alone. You just can't. You've got to have community. That's, you know, God really feels strongly about that. I mean, one another verses are all through the Bible. And here at Watermark, we know how important community is. We believe it. But you've got to have community support because what I have to tell you is what you're looking at, you're in the middle of it. And you can't see, you're looking at it like this. But when you get others involved that love you and that you trust and that will give you biblical counsel, they're looking at it from up here. And they can see things you can't see. Because 
you know, we love that child so much, and it's hard for us to see some of the hard things. So we've got to get others to come around us and help us through this. You can't do it by yourself. And that's the beauty of our ministry, I will say, on Tuesday night is, you know, we're all in this together, and we're, you know, one man will always say, he'll go, I can look at you with your problem and tell you what you should do, but I can't do it myself. So that's why we need others around us to do that. And we have to trust God with our prodigal, just like I told you I had to do. Until you can fully trust God with your child, your spouse, whoever, you'll never be fully the parent or friend you were meant to be. You just won't. So the principles we want to kind of get across today is that setting boundaries and enforcing consequences teaches responsibility. It just does. Setting boundaries and consequences shapes character and defines worth for you and your prodigal. Setting boundaries and consequences teaches you that you reap what you sow. You, you never interfere with natural consequences. That's just a basics. I wish I'd known that when I was raising my kids. But, you know, if you're a bossy friend, you're just not going to have friends. If you don't do your... And that's a natural consequence, isn't it? If you don't do your homework, you're not going to get a good grade in that class. If you skip class, you're not going to get a good grade. Natural, never interfere with those. Those are, those are just natural. And as Steve said, you're responsible to your prodigal, not for your prodigal. So just remember, remember that. So hopefully that'll help us a little bit with, um, you know, knowing the importance of boundaries and consequences because I think that's so important. So hope that helps. Thank you. Who's doing anger? Oh, gosh, I forgot. <laughs> is he doing anger? Yes, he is okay. doing anger. Yeah, I got it. I was sitting back there doing that. Um, actually, I thought my wife Lisa should do this talk on anger, but somehow I got it. Um, Our, our goals here are uh, to uh, define what provokes anger, um, to explore its effect on us and our relationships, and to um, examine alternative responses. Uh, sources of anger uh, can be embarrassment, or just uh, particularly with our children. I mean, when they start doing drugs and marijuana, I mean that embarrassed me, and um, you know, and it, it, it did. I, I was certain they were going to fail. So all these things just made me mad. Um, the other thing that, particularly with parenting, when you see a prodigal just taken off uh, in a bad direction, it's what they're doing is so absolutely stupid. All it takes is a little reason. If they just listen to me, everything would work out better. And they don't, and it makes you mad. Okay. Um, I think for the women, at least when I'm in a small group in Parkland and I hear this, it seems like the number one thing that pro- provokes anger among the, the women is being lied to. And boy, these kids, I mean, when they move their lips, they're lying when, when they become a prodigal. Um, so that's really a big one. Um, we always talk about uh, unconditional love as an important thing, but frequently we wrap conditional love around our relationships. And that means that, you know, uh, it's Valentine's Day. If my husband 
uh, brings me flowers or this or that, then I'm going to be really excited and happy and whatever. But if he doesn't, you know, so that's a condition that you're putting on a relationship that really is a controlling condition. And then the, uh, sometimes it gets down to the fact that as things percolate along, you just feel guilty about how bad things have gone. And it, it begins to create a feeling of anger, undertone of anger. What does this look like biblically? Look at Psalms 39.3. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. James 3.9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. So you can see that there's a lot of biblical evidence of what's going on. Yes? Well, I haven't experienced anger. You have not? No. I, I feel... I feel Maybe not. I mean, I wish I could give you a little of mine so that I could have less of it at times. But uh, no, no, I think you're fortunate if you don't. But um, um, sometimes I should be angry at him. No, I don't think I don't think anger is good. I think it's it's something that that is a natural um, emotion that everybody has. You can see it if you. I, I started to show some videos of infants that are like under a year old fighting. <laughs> Where do they learn that? I mean, it's a natural instinct. Okay, so I'm surprised you haven't identified it, but you're very lucky if it's not. Causing you yeah, to. Kind of, you know, well, I mean, you know, it can't. It, it, I think it can be. That's the whole point. It can create new anxieties in you and so forth that you're just you're controlling it. You're not expressing it. Um, but it's it's a dangerous emotion, honestly. Uh, I've got this picture of a handgun and a, and a and a glass of alcohol because no one would think that's a good combination, right? Um, and anger, it can injure us. It can injure our family and our friends. Uh, and it can even be an emotion that ricochets, that when we're uh, angry with whoever and someone just sees that happening, it can be a very poor witness to our walk when, when that occurs. It doesn't mix well with drinking, just like the handgun. Um, and when, when you show anger, you can cause people to have a fear of, of who you are and what you're about you, you don't you don't have it doesn't engage you don't, it doesn't create trust and uh, and so basically you should holster this it should be concealed it should be um, controlled what does it do um, it, it breaks communication it creates a, a defensive posture um, your, your, your focus is on winning rather than on compromising or truth. Um, you, you get in isolation very quickly when you're angry. And that's not healthy at all. Jenny just spoke about the, the value of community and that really does help this process of breaking the isolation and so forth. And you can become isolated from your spouse, from your children, from your associates, but ultimately can create isolation from God. And that's the worst. So it has... And here's the other thing. This ought to be in bold. The problem with anger, it has the underlying intent of inflicting pain. And there's your problem. So an angry response 
makes the other person defensive. It elevates the chaos rather than bringing it down. It sets the focus on yourself, creates hurt, obscures love, and it may lead into a hardened heart like Pharaoh in Exodus 7.13. One of my favorite quotes is out of Frederick Buechner's book, Wishful Thinking, and this is part of it. Of the deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. And Waldrop summarizes in his book on parenting prodigals, bitterness prevents any closure of healing from pain. We are left desiring revenge instead of healing and compassion. So does anger fit the mind of Christ? Uh, in small group, I, when we're talking about anger, people said it's, or some of the group was saying it's great. Just look in the Bible, you'll see uh, Jesus cursing the fig tree, uh, him driving out, buying and selling in the temple. But when you really look at the context of what you see displayed, a um, couple of things. First of all, we are not God and we're not Christ. That's number one. But number two, when you look at that, what Christ is anger about, angry about is sin. It's about what's happening. He's not angry at people. Um, in um, Mark 10, they talk about how, how Christ doesn't like divorce. But He loves the divorcee. You get the difference? It's the, it's, what He doesn't like is the process that's just tearing us apart. But He loves us. He loves the sinner. So um, there's a difference there. And so we need to be careful as we interpret in Scripture as to what it's applying. Don't become angry with God. That can happen. Look at the story of Lazarus when he was dying. In John 11, um, the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And he loved Martha and he loved her sister and he loved Lazarus. Uh, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. He could have gone back and, and kept Lazarus from dying, right? Why did he linger? Why didn't he do that? And he, he told his disciples, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So he had a higher purpose than doing what Martha and probably Lazarus and Mary thought. So, how was he greed, greeted when he... Uh, well, first of all, he, you know, Lazarus died. And uh, they sent word and the disciples were confused about all this. But So, when he did go back, how was he greeted? Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at her feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The point being that what we feel God should be doing is really perhaps not what He wants to be doing and what He has a greater purpose in what He's doing than our little minds can get around. Okay, And so I think we need not take our anger to God. This is what this is about. It's letting Him be our authority. 
So there are three things if you're, if you're dealing with anger that, that biblically I think we need to do. We need to adopt the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. The person without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. So it talks about our ability to discern when we have the Spirit, and if we have that, we're in a unique position to deal better and to follow the mind of Christ. Trust God to supply what you need. Philippians 4.19 And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Jesus Christ. And discern God's will. Those are the three things. Romans 12.2 Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how should we respond? Waldrop says, Love and bitterness are incredibly powerful. One has the power to heal, the other the power to kill. Unconditional love does not mean we approve of of the prodigal or the whoever's behavior, but that we love them no matter what they have done. Yet, as Jenny said, consequences for bad decisions must exist. So unconditional love doesn't mean you don't have boundaries and consequences. Quite the contrary. Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. How, you know, again, in our response, our intentions may be good and pure, but our words, expressions, actions too often drive our spouses, children, friends further away from God and us. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 29.11, a fool, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Again, that's that holster for the gun, right? How should we respond? Again, Ecclesiastes 7.9 Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Ephesians 4.31-32 Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate with one another, Forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So if you feel anger, take it to God and let Him give you insight. Psalms 4.4 In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. In James 1.19 My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of life God desires. And get, think about that communication uh, slide earlier where the pointing finger and so forth. 
Do not let your anger be an excuse for withdrawing, condemning, nagging your spouse, child, or friends. Ecclesiastes 3.7, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak. So when you're angry, don't defend yourself. Just be silent. State the truth no more than twice. Don't escalate. In Matthew 5.37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So when rebuffed by your spouse, your child, your friend, um, or they show anger to you, towards you, remember that you can only control your response. And that response may be the very basis for the other's healing. So as a lesson tool, remember anger is a choice. Treat it like a loaded handgun. Holster it, conceal it, put the safety on, take the bullets out. And Ephesians 4.29 is remember, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And there are three principles. Anger is certain to be provoked when dealing with our friends and loved ones. You're an exception. <laughs> remember, love. <laughs> remember, love has to, has the power to heal. Anger, the power to kill. And anger has the underlying intent of inflicting pain. This will isolate us from those we love. And a loving response does not condone objectionable, sinful behavior. Let's see who is next. Conflict resolution. Yeah, right after this. We're having a break right after this. Uh, I mean, anybody needs to go to the bathroom, by all means, uh, don't do it in here. Go ahead. You can leave. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know what? Maybe we could text Julie uh, to see if she could turn the, uh, you know, somebody turn, you know, text Julie. You were in there. You got you get her number? Yeah. Anyway, it's on my phone. Yeah, it's on my phone. You could just text her. Maybe they could turn the heat up a little bit. It is. I mean, I'm, I love it, Cole, and it's a little cold for me. So, uh, so anyway, um, uh, we're having a break right after this talk. Uh, it's about 15 minutes, and uh, and we might even have a little time for Q and A now. Uh, I mean, sorry, uh, right after the talk for the first session, we're going to have a lot more time for Q and A at the end of the day. So we want to get your specifics because it, it helps others to work through some issues, and we're really going to try to do that. Um, so. Uh, Again, what we you'll see some of the format at the end of our talks. We give some principles. Uh, if you come to our group on Tuesday night, you'll have a lecture that'll be a little bit more expanded to the, than than what you're hearing today, and uh, you'll have principles that you'll get each week, and then you'll get a tool of the week that you can kind of hang on to that you can take home each week. Uh, it's about six or seven months in terms of the whole curriculum, but what goes on, uh, and then you'll have some questions that you can think about and process during the week, but you'll also go right into a closed group. Uh, initially, you come to an open group, and then you go to a closed group. But I, I will tell you, processing this with... If you turned around and made all these chairs in a circle, you would immediately start loving on each other because you're all in the same boat. And we do that each week. And that community, we've had three community groups at Watermark form out of our prodigal groups. It's it's phenomenal how they bonded, and they're not leaving. So uh, that's a great problem, but we need more leaders. So 
I see some future leaders out here today. So anyway, on conflict resolution, let me just tell you, you each need to pick up uh, one of these. They're over there. Some of you have them. Some of you don't. Uh, I think I think most of you have them, right? Uh, but uh, let me tell you, when I first joined Watermark, uh, I, I would tell you that if I, I was going through it and Dean McFarlane was leading our group, uh, uh, how many people are members of Watermark? Okay, and some people aren't. It's no problem. I just the reason I say that it's not about Watermark; it's about Jesus Christ. Okay, it's just that. Uh, so I'm not. It, it, it's I'm not trying to be a homer here. It works for me. It doesn't have to work for you. Um, but I will tell you this: it's a it's a different place, and it is a place where biblical conflict resolution is the cornerstone of our church. It, it is uh, there is. It is the most amazing, transforming thing that I've ever been associated with. And the first time I did it, it were my, my best friends. We went out to dinner. And if I would have had my car, I would have shot them the finger, got in the car, and driven home. It was, I said, if this is conflict resolution, this place is totally jacked. And then I slept on it, and then we called each other at 9 o'clock the next morning, and we continued to work through it. And that's never been a problem for us again. And our relationship went from here to here. And I went, wow, that's pretty wild. And so when you come up to the conflict resolution, I go in and I work, I work two places here. Uh, I work four days a week in my practice. And then one day a week I work here and I work with community. And I go into community groups and I help them resolve conflict. And then we resolve conflict all the time in the prodigal ministry. So it's part of what we do. And I am passionate about conflict resolution. So let me tell you a little bit about it. And uh, when Dean McFarland uh, led my connecting point when I joined this church six, seven, eight years ago, I forget when it was, but he said to me, he said, I have one of these in my briefcase. I have one of these in my office at work. And I have one of these at how at the house. Uh and I went, wow, that's got to be important. And I will tell you, every time I deal with conflict, I reread this a few times a year. And when I reread it, I go, this is, this is life right here. Okay, because it looks totally different in the way that we resolve conflict. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to go through this fairly quick. And it's all in here. If you just read this, you would be blessed, okay? And there's scripture passages that are that, that due to the fact that we keep it short and sweet, that if you actually work through this and all of these scriptures, if you actually look them up, it would be a great week of quiet time to walk through this, read these scriptures, and see the support that the Bible has in how we deal with conflict uh, uh, in a very biblical manner. It's different. And the reason we had anger first is that you didn't have anger, and that's great. But um, you might be angry at somebody sometime. And if you are, this is a great way to deal with it because we're not called to hold grudges. So uh, is this the advance? No, it's over here. Okay, good. All right, so um, C.S. Lewis <coughs> has a quote. That <coughs> on the bottom of your field guide which I, this was added in the new edition it said listen to this we must picture hell as a state where everyone's perpetually concerned about his own dignity 
and advancement, where everyone has a grievance, and where everyone lives the deadly, serious passions of envy, self-importance, and resentment. I mean, that is hell. Is that a great quote? C.S. Lewis is so awesome. But isn't that the realm of all of our problems? We would rather... We would rather deal with conflict. And this is going to be about your prodigal, right? You, you're here because you've had one conflict after another with your prodigal. So how do you do that well? It's part of the issues. So I think the one thing, if you could remember one thing, it's an opportunity to glorify God. When I, when I look at it that way and I go, oh, another conflict. This is going to be a whipping. Uh, I go, wait a minute. This is an opportunity to glorify God. If I do this well, it's going to look different. And I got to tell you, people will say, you know, we, we, we want to go out and say, I don't know about you guys, but my top 10 list is my weakness. You know, my, I want to talk to people about it at Watermark. It's a thing about it. You want to evangelize. Uh, so you have 10 people always on your list that, that you might go out and talk to about Jesus Christ. Well, this is a way to me that's actually more comfortable if you dealt with somebody like that on your list or even not on your list in a way that was biblical listening to them and going through these principles. That's a way to glorify God and you might get their attention um, in a a way to evangelize while you're doing this. And you can serve other people uh, and you can grow to be like Christ. So let let me flesh that out. Uh, quickly if I can. The Christian response to conflict should follow the following principles. If you glorify God, you're not focusing on yourselves, but you're trying to honor God um, by depending on Him, His His Word, His scriptural guidance, and um, you've got to maintain this loving, forgiving attitude, which is hard when you've been when you've been hurt. The other thing is you do is you you get the log out of your own eye first. If you read Matthew 18, um, Alone, that's really what all of this flushes out under. It's about how do you con- how do you uh, uh, work through that? Um, is my Bible back there? Hey, we- yeah, got it. You almost got it, Dale. But but uh, let me. Yeah. Matthew's right before Mark. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Hey, just if you got your Bibles, open up to Matthew 18. I'm not I'm not going to hit all these slides, but it's but but basically I just want to point that out in terms of um uh wait, wait, where is it? Oh yeah. Um, Matthew 18, if you just go at uh, 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Okay, this is right out of the Word of God. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be concerned. We never do any conflict resolution. I've learned this the hard way. You never do any conflict resolution with one person. You know, if, if, they're, if they're asking me to widen my circle, we take two leaders with us everywhere we go. We never go into a group to determine a plan with a family. We'll talk about that in a minute. We never talk about any conflict resolution without taking two people with you. And so uh, there's a reason he put that in there. Okay? So if he refuses to listen then... Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him 
be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Some Bibles say an unbeliever. Does that seem harsh to you? Okay, how do you treat an unbeliever? You love them and you call them to repentance. So it's not as harsh as you think. Okay? Um, So, it's all right there. So let's flesh that out a little bit. So you get the log out of your own eye. You take responsibility for your own actions. And you confess your own sin, which is the hardest part of this. You say, what could I possibly have a role in this? And what we're trying to say today is, if you're doing it with your prodigal, it could be that you've been enabling. You have... You have been feeling embarrassed about the way they've acted. So you gotta get you gotta own that. That's 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 really affecting the way I'm dealing with you. You know, when you go to somebody that you're angry with and you do conflict and you start by asking for forgiveness in the way that you've come to the table to this point, it's amazing how things open up. Alright. So we just talked about that. A Christian response to conflict should follow the following principles. You go and show his brother his fault, just like Matthew 18 said. So we're not going to pretend that the conflict doesn't exist. You know, I'm working with this with my kids who are, who are great. My, my, my daughter's awesome. But she struggles with this a little bit about saying, I'm just not going to worry about it. Well, okay, so you're going to give that relationship up that's been a great relationship for 10 years because it's just too hard. I'm not sure that's what God wants. In fact, I'm positive, so let's go to the Scripture. So you're not going to pretend that conflict doesn't exist, and we're not going to sweat the small stuff, but we're going to address significant issues, and if it cannot be resolved in private, we expand. I just read that to you. So let's flesh that out real quick and say, uh, go and be reconciled. Don't accept premature uh, compromise. I mean, you go and you do it, and it gets tough, and you just go, it's not worth it. Nope. That's not, that's not what you're called to do. You're supposed to go after it because you want to try to... It's all about relationships. That's what Steve started this whole talk with. It's all about relationships. God's important to that. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, we have a big practice and I've got a guy that's the most efficient guy in the world that runs our practice. He's brilliant and whatever. Um, and he's smarter than I am and he handles business better than I do. But I'm trying to teach him in a really gentle way that relationships, you don't have to leave a, a, de- a path of dead bodies <laughs> everywhere you go to get the best business deal. It's always about relationship. And it puzzles him to death to see Steve and I prioritize that in our practice. But it's fun. It just, you know, he just, I think he's getting it. I hope so. But we will not accept premature compromise and we actively pursue genuine peace. So there's two kinds of logs in your eye, right? It's about your own personal attitudes and your biases. And it's also about uh, sinful words and actions. You know, uh, so those are the logs that we see. So idol worship um, is kind of the root cause of all that, right? I mean, anything you love more than God is an idol, okay? And I would argue, this is just a little aside, not in my talk, but I want you to think about this. Um, just talk to the dads um, this week. And they were talking about idols and the things in Dallas that are that are easy to, to judge, right? The cars, the the cars, the planes, the the whatever it is, you know, in Dallas, it's easy to pick up a bunch of idols. But you don't think about your prodigal as your idol. And and if you can't give them up, then you're saying, I don't trust you, God. I'm not giving them to you, God, because I mean, you're good and you can handle my neighbor's kids, but not mine. That's an idol. 
Okay, and so uh, anything you love more than God's an idol. And idol worship places you in conflict with God. If you're not giving your child to God, who do you think that child is? It's God's. You're just here for a while to, to teach them responsibility. But God, the, their relationship primarily should be with God alone. And if you're, if you're getting in the way of that, you've got a conflict with God, not just, not just with the prodigal. So when we want something but don't get it, we quarrel and fight, and that's, it's going to lead to conflict. So um, there's seven A's. Again, all of these are in this, this thing, and I won't flush it out. But I'm telling you, keep it with you at all times. But I'm just going over the high parts. You're going to, the A's are you ask the Lord and others for help and self-awareness. You address everyone involved as soon as possible. Uh, don't make excuses. You go into something, I see it all the time. Well, I'm sorry, but if you weren't such a jerk, it'd be so easy. You know, <laughs> That's not the greatest way to, 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 to continue on in this loving conflict resolution. And you apologize, but you don't stop there. And, I, you know, when I first thought it, I thought this was kind of weird. first one I did was right up the road up here. I remember where I was, and, and Rick Wisner was with me modeling it. And they said, I'm sorry. And, and he goes, well, that's okay. But I want you to ask for forgiveness for what you've done. And if you say, hey, I'm sorry, um, most people will say, if they're really egotistical, they'll say, I'm sorry for the way that you took that. No. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I see it all the time. But if you say, forgive me for what I've done, I know this sounds crazy, but if I'm doing conflict, I actually make them say that. Forgive me for the way that I've parented you, Hunter. I loved you so much that I wanted to save you. But you know what? I Forgive me. I got in the way. Of, your, of you learning responsibility. I got it in the way of your relationship with God. Forgive me for that. Will you forgive me for that? Yes, I'll forgive you. There's some real healing when those words are said. So don't take that lightly. Really ask for forgiveness. Accept the consequences. I mean, God loved Israel, right? Still does. But He smoked them all the time. <laughs> over and over again. And they just had to accept that. But, but you know what? Uh, somebody, one of the earlier speakers says, you don't love me. I had, I had somebody, uh, I talked to a lady yesterday. She said, well, you know, my daughter said, well, you don't love me if you're not picking up my book at the school. I mean, she's nine years old. You know, I mean, I, I forgot it. Go get it for me. And she, you know, and you, and so when you say, your kids will say, the way you're treating me, not giving me money, not letting me live here, not doing this, you don't love me. Don't confuse love with trust. Those are two different things. You'll always love them. You always love them unconditionally, but you haven't you haven't earned my trust. You've lost my trust, and I, that takes time. So don't let them get you in the trap about saying the, what, how you're acting is not loving me. It's just not trusting them. You know, you don't have to treat your kids the same either. Some of them earn a certain way to be treated, and others don't. But you love them all the same, right? Unconditionally. Okay. So uh, don't sweat the small stuff. I love Proverbs 19.11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. So these four things, just real quickly, if the offense is ser- seriously dishonoring God, if it's, if it's permanently damaged a relationship, if it's seri- seriously hurting other people or hurting the offender himself, then you need to deal with it. If it doesn't, if you can answer no to all those things, then you just live with it, right? If it's just one of those things that the dog's barking and, you know, although 
it's seriously hurting my sleep, that's going to damage our relationship. But that's, but that's your issue. You know what I'm talking about. So if, if it is really big stuff, then this is the hardest part for me. Um, you know, I just, you know, it, it's kind of uh, pray for humility and wisdom to go in private and lovingly and plan your, you know, plan your words carefully, rehearsing. Rehearsing this thing is really helpful for me. You know, to say, I expect them to say this. What am I going to say? Praying beforehand is, is fantastic because humanly you can't do this. You've got to have the Holy Spirit within you. So pray, plan, rehearse it. Choose the right time. There are certain times if they're morning people or, or evening people, you know, you know that. Um, assume the best in them. Listen carefully. Um, really speak to listen um, uh, that's you know um, and then trust God that he's going to going to work through all this I'm just hitting the high points here and then the, the, the hardest thing is don't stop if it gets sticky uh, I've told you bring one or two people along if, the, if it doesn't happen initially one of the things you might do a lot of times people will do I'm just going to go they're, they're not going to listen so I'm just going to bring my whole cast of thousand initially and rain on them right from the start but Go initially, at least in person, privately, to know that you've done that well. And then then you can widen your circle. And uh, I would encourage you, the other thing is not to widen your circle with yes men and yes women. Widen your circle with wise, godly, unbiased counsel. And that actually, if you bring your own best friend that you know hates the other person, you're dead in the water. Have them bring their pastor. Have them bring their best friends. I mean, people that you trust biblically. So this is another thing that's hard. When you give it up, um, you're saying when you forgive somebody, uh, I'm going to forgive you, but I can't forget it. Well, it says in here, a great line in the field guide is, what would you do if God said that to you? You know, I'm going to forgive you for your sin, but i got to tell you, it's in the back of my mind. That means... You're on a hair trigger, you know, it's not really grace, and it's not really God. So if it's not really God, and it's not Jesus' example, it can't be ours, right? So if we forgive them, you got to forget it. you got to move on, right? So you're not going to dwell on it. You're not going to talk to others about it. You know, my problem, you know, I, I want to uh, uh, talk about the incident, um, and you're not going to stand. It's not going to hinder the relationship. Your goal is really to restore the relationship, not to win an argument. It's it's to to help the person grow in what they're doing, and the motivation so often is you feel like your way is right, and you're playing this game, but you're trying to win them over to your side. And the point is, it takes two people, and usually both of you are at fault. So come with an open mind to that. So. You, you these negotiate in a biblical manner just quickly you prepare you affirm it's called pause if you look at the first letter in every one of those it's a way you can remember things they're really great on mnemonics here but prepare affirm the relationship show I love you I really the purpose of, I'm here is because I love you you understand them uh, you search for creative solutions and then you evaluate their options objectively so uh, be prepared for unreasonable people I'm not going to go over all this it's all in there um, and uh well, maybe I will because it's the last slide. But, but God doesn't measure in terms of outcome, right? Here's another thing that's really... He doesn't, he doesn't judge outcomes. He just judges your faithfulness. If you go and do everything you can and you have an open heart, you ask for forgiveness, you've done everything you can do, God's going to say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. I'll take care of them in due time. You did everything you could do. And you can sleep like a baby doing that. And that's the same principle we're telling you all through these three hours and all through our prodigal classes is that you can't control your prodigal. You can't control the conflict on the other end. You can can just control yourself. So um, control your tongue. uh, Seek godly counsel. Keep doing what's right. Pray, and then if you have to expand, you get help from the church, you know, wider, wider community. What we usually do is we have one-on-one, then we have a couple of people come in, then we have the whole community group come in, then we have an elder come in, the whole elders, and I've seen it happen one time in eight years here where we had a resolution that went right in front of the whole entire body. And it, and it took three or four years, and it was terrible, and it was on the national news, but we did it, and it worked out. So... Uh, I mean, the outcome wasn't great, but we were faithful. <laughs> so, so. Uh...